Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again, if they die out, it is just a little indicator of larger threats my dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? And I said, we were taking nude photos. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome back. I hope that everybody is having the most spectacular holiday season. You probably heard that crow in the background. I do have the windows open in my studio. And so I'm picking up this crow that is just singing out its little Christmas heart, I guess. By the time that you hear this episode, Christmas will be right behind us. And we're already going to be looking forward to a new year, 2023. I think that aside from this knee, which has just been the predominant theme of the year, it... (laughs) At least for me, I just go around life just moving around, right? I don't really think about the individual components of my body, the knee bone that's connected to the hip bone that's connected to whatever the neck bone, but I don't think about those individual components until I hurt them. And then it's like, oh my gosh, this part of my body does so much. You know, you get a paper cut and all of a sudden the tip of your finger becomes the star of the show, doesn't it? Like you realize how much you use your fingers for everything. And so the same thing happened with my knee and it has really shown me how much just my knee touches so many different aspects of my life, like not being able to participate in things and then the weight gain. So for one thing, my family celebrates Christmas on the 24th on Christmas Eve. So we had a big celebration. Um, I'm editing on Christmas Day. So we had a big celebration last night and it was delicious. I made this bread pudding that is out of this world with a praline caramel sauce over the top and everybody went bananas over it. This is so good. I will post a link to it in the show notes because if you like bread pudding you must try this and it was like really super easy to make so clearly that is not keto i went off my diet for that my sister made this amazing prime rib roast and bread and butter i haven't had regular bread since i started the keto diet plan so let me tell you french bread slathered with butter on it. It's the bomb. 
Um, and that's okay, you know, I don't have to have it every single day because I remember when I was eating it all the time, there were days where I was like, I don't want any more French bread. I guess that's a little bit of that moderation, right? You want to eat things only up to the point where they're still special in some way. And so, you know, I just had a few slices of bread. It ended up being a very special dinner because it's not the food that I have been eating. And, you know, one of the funny things is that the holidays roll around and I think it kind of starts around Halloween, uh, just before that, when all of the candies are out, things that you really don't eat during the year, and all of a sudden they're all there. And at least in my office, they are. Everybody's got candy at their desk beginning right before Halloween. People start bringing in desserts, Thanksgiving rolls around, and that's just a big eating fest. And then Christmas is right around the corner. And so you've got basically two and a half months. Well, you know, and then New Year's. But still, it's like two and a half, three months of a lot of eating rich foods. And so yesterday, I brought some chocolates to decorate the dessert table with. And I had one and I thought, oh, this is pretty good. And I went back and I had another one. And they were, you know, small, rich little chocolates. And as I was eating the second one, I thought, I don't even know if this is what I really want. And that's a little bit of that mindfulness that I'm striving to bring back into my eating. So I guess, you know, a lot of times when we say that we're on a diet, it's really in reference to everything that goes around changing your eating habits. And part of it is being mindful of what you're eating. And is it really what you're craving, what you're hungry for? Are you even hungry? You know, it's asking all of those different questions. Um, And I guess if you were to apply a Marie Kondo strategy to this, it would be asking yourself, does this bring me joy? Does this piece of chocolate bring me joy? Does the texture, the sweetness level bring me joy? Does, and you know, chocolate is bitter. Does that combination of sweet and bitter bring me joy? So you could kind of apply those strategies to becoming more mindful about eating. But today I am back on my keto diet. So my breakfast was a gigantic salad with leftover roast beef from last night's dinner, pumpkin seeds, and blue cheese dressing. And that was really good. And then weaning myself off of those sugar cravings. Maybe an hour later, I had a cup of coffee with, and I don't like my coffee sweetened, so I'm really lucky in that regard. I never have, but I do like cream in it. So I had a cup of coffee with a keto donut, and that hit the spot. Hopefully 2023 is one my knee is way better already. So I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to get back into hiking and all of that kind of stuff that I love to do all my outdoors activities and just feeling better. Um, my diet's on its way. So I'm hoping I'll be able to get back into all my clothes in the closet that I love. I'm, I've already gotten back into a few things and they look great on me and they feel great on me. So those are two things that I've already kind of gotten ahead of the eight ball, so to speak, on for 2023. 
the next thing is to get super organized because my studio is a little bit of a mess right now. I've gotten behind in filing and um, I kind of have stuff all over the place. So I'm hoping to get organized and really I've set a couple of days aside. I've got some empty boxes now that I'm going to fill up and take to a couple of the donation sites and that always feels really good to do. So I've got a plan and I'm just looking forward to a great 2023. And with that, let's get into this talk with Donna Hargis. It is part two of my talk on everything bluegrass with her. And in this episode, we're going to get into South State 48 and the California Bluegrass Association. And of course, more on bluegrass. So please grab a cuppa and join me and Donna Hargis. Enjoy. In bluegrass, if you have a raspy, scratchy voice, there are songs that are like kind of shouting songs that are great for that. Mm -hmm. You know, not that anyone listens to me, but maybe don't go for the slow ballads. Maybe go for one of the shouting songs. You just need a lot of gumption to sing. Right. We've all got something to bring to the table. We don't have to all sound the same. Absolutely. You know, I'm never going to be able to sing any Celine Dion songs. They're just... Neither am I. Neither am I. <laughs> Absolutely not. That's so funny. But, you know, I used to produce storytelling events, and those were a lot of fun. And, you know, I tried to theme them. I'd, I'd get five to eight people who would get up on the stage and tell their story. And it had to be a true story, have, have happened to them. And they would say, what's the best way to prepare? And I would tell them, you know, practice, 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 record yourself, stand in front of a mirror, listen to your recording. There was a time limit on it, which was five minutes. Mm-hmm. And the first time you record yourself, it's going to be 15 minutes long. And you're going to say, I can never tell the story in five minutes. And you just keep whittling it down. You take out any of the extraneous parts, you get the core of the story. And that that's really the message that you want to put across is that core. And then stand in front of the mirror and take a look at the way that you're standing, what your hands are doing when you're telling this story. Make sure that you leave some room in there for when people are going to inevitably gasp or they're going to laugh or they're going to, you know, whatever it is that they're going to do. You want to build that into your five minutes. And it takes a lot of dedication, like you said, because that takes a lot of time. You're not going to be scrolling at all when you're doing this. You're going to be giving it your all. And the people who actually did this and got on stage would get standing ovations. I mean, they were so phenomenal. And that was the difference. It was the practice time. I love that you say that because, again, you know, art, any kind of art that could be applied to, oh, they must have natural talent, you know, and what they really had right. was the willingness to put in the time and do the work. That's what we should applaud. And that's what, that is what we're applauding, whether people know it or not. It's, you know, whether you're watching a kid do a recital or an adult who's an aficionado, they put in the time, they put in the work, and it's time to celebrate that. You're right. Yeah. I mean, that makes all of the difference in the world. Um You said that there is something similar to what's going on in Northern California that's getting built here in Southern California. Do you want to touch on that? Oh, sure. Um, So 
you know, they have the big outdoor festival and then um, talking about the California Bluegrass Association, they have Grass Valley, they have a couple of campouts, and then they have this event called the Great 48. And this event happens in Bakersfield in January every year when there's usually nothing going on. You can't have an outdoor festival. But what they do, it's the second weekend in January, and they rent out the Marriott, three floors of it, and there's nonstop jamming. I mean, there's a couple of floors where you can say you want it to be quiet after 10 p.m., but there's a couple of floors where they literally don't stop all night long. (laughs) And it's not a drug-infused party. It's people that are so excited to pick with each other, friends who only see each other two or three times a year, and people are just playing music. The doors are open. It's up and down the hallway. It's in the elevator shaft. It's in the lobby. (laughs) And all ages and all abilities from the fast shredders to the barely plucking along. And it's just a beautiful thing. And so during COVID, I was, you know, I was getting involved as a regional director of Southern California. And they put together a team to try to bring more bluegrass down to Southern California. And we decided to do something modeled after the Great 48, because for one thing, it's hugely successful. But two, there's less risk involved because you're not, an outdoor festival is really hard to plan and potentially you could lose your butt on that. I started looking around for a hotel down here that would let people jam 24 hours if we sold enough rooms. Uh, looked for places with outdoor space, too, because it was during COVID, you know, so we didn't want to be jammed in a hallway. Right. And, um, I found several places and uh, actually just a few that would allow, had outdoor space and would allow the 24-hour jamming. I went and looked at a few and then found this hotel down in Carlsbad that was perfect because it was like a two-story hotel shaped like a triangle with grassy quad in the middle. And they said, wow. yeah, if you sell 80 rooms, you can jam all night long and you, know, you have the run <laughs> of the hotel. And so we didn't know if we could sell 80 rooms because, you know, it was a new event and it was post-COVID and we sold out almost immediately Wow. In addition to the 24-hour jamming, we put on workshops. It has this adjoining like food hall and bar that's actually a lot cooler than it sounds. Food hall makes it sound like a cafeteria, but it's Mm -hmm. like a cluster of little restaurants. And so we had bands play in there and um, it was really successful. We just finished our second one. It's the first weekend in November and I'm already looking to year three. And year three is the year that I want to bring a kids program to that festival, whether it be just a short one day activity for the kids. But we want to reach out to the community and let the young people know about what's going on over there. If you just um, Googled South State 48, that's what it's called, because the other one's called the Great 48. And so we modeled it after that South State 48. The photos of people having a great time. Wow. And I know that takes a lot of work and it's really awesome when it sparks like that, just takes off like wildfire. And I think that that is a testament to how much of a need there is for this and and how popular really bluegrass is, even if it's not out in the mainstream as much. There's people who are actually looking to be able to be part of this kind of a community and this kind of events. Yeah, it's a very, it's a small group, but it's a very passionate and we drive a lot. I always, that's what I was trying to like, mm-hmm. you know, mention driving before. It's like, I'm going to Bakersfield. I'm going to Grass Valley. I'm going to Vista. I'm going to Carlsbad, to, you know, wherever there's bluegrass happening. Going to LA on a weeknight. Crazy, you know, but mm-hmm. just got to go, you know, got to go where it is. And we're pretty spread out. So might be another reason, maybe in mm-hmm. the Bay Area, they're, um, you know, a lot easier to get to. That might be another reason why they have 
a bigger scene, but I don't know. I, th- I think it's really a lot of things. Yeah. And you're the regional director of South State 48? Um, I'm the regional director for this area, like LA and Orange County. And then I was, I was the co-producer of the South State 48. Yeah. So I'm kind of leading the team forward for this year too. That is a lot of work and it sounds like it's already a huge success. Um, (laughs) It is. It's a lot of fun. And it's not too much work because um, volunteers, you know, I mean, we're all volunteers and nobody gets paid off that nobody's making money. We're just doing it because we love it. And I think this is probably why I enjoy doing this because I enjoy connecting people. So if I see, like I met a woman recently that had a lot of experience with merchandise because of her job. And she's like, oh yeah, you guys need different hats. You need different shirts. I'm like, do you want to be in charge next year? (laughs) So I'm like, I'm not- Roping the people in. Yes, yes. Finding out what they're good at. And and one of the things that um, I added this, just for an example of how easy it was to be successful, we do a little post-event survey. And some people said that didn't know how to join a jam and that they were like, didn't know if it was okay just to walk, you know, that they didn't really feel welcomed and felt intimidated. So Mm -hmm. year two, we created this like four easy ups and made this open jam area where all are welcome and put a lot of like homemade signs. Everybody start here. You're welcome here. And then I had different organizations and different people sign up to host a jam for an hour, knowing that it would be super beginning friendly and people loved it. It was full all day. Next oh, year, wow. I'll have more of that. But that's just an example of that didn't take me hardly any time at all. I had to find some people, send out in some emails, put a schedule together. Other volunteers popped up the tent and led the jams and we all came together. It was a beautiful thing. That is really wonderful. You um, should check it out next year if you feel like it. I tell people around here, I mean, Carlsbad, it's a day trip. You don't have to stay in the hotel, you know, to right. check it out. It's really beautiful there, right by the beach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned earlier your writing. Um, mm-hmm. I think we both mentioned it. So how did you get into writing You know, a lot of that was a product of being stuck in a bad marriage. It was one of the things that I could do. I was just expressing myself and I like expressing myself. I don't write much anymore. I write for bluegrass sometimes and, Mm -hmm. you know, mess around with a little songwriting. But that's the opposite of what I said about guitar playing. Like I don't have a discipline with writing and I kind of don't care that I don't. <laughs> I'm not feeling right. bad about it. Like, I mean, there was a time in my life where I was like, you got to write every day and you got to don't wait for the muse. You got to sit down at the typewriter. You know, all those. Right. <laughs> but now I'm like, you know. Self-bashing. <laughs> exactly. If I feel like writing, I'll write something. And it's kind of almost like I just let that run itself. Like, I'm going to write a piece right now. Just a short thing. And again, it's going to be a lot, you know, it's always bluegrass related. But um, I do a little writing for the bluegrass breakdown and. There was a guy that went to the South State 48 event and got inspired and started a new jam. And I went out to that yesterday just to support him. So I'm going to do a little write up on that because that's the kind of thing that like someone went to our event, they got inspired, they tried to find a bluegrass jam, they couldn't. So they started one. That's our ultimate success story right there. Like I said, no one's trying to make money, but (laughs) that was the measurement of success. Like, wow, yay. Directly traced back to our event. Someone started a jam and that's wonderful. And there was a kid there. There was a kid playing bass. So, Oh, so cool. Yeah. Do you write your own music? 
Um, no. I mean, I've written a couple of songs, but I haven't really, you know, done anything with them yet. Mm-hmm. It's funny. In Bluegrass, it's so much about playing the songs that are already written. There's reasons for that, but um, yeah. What I, what are, why do you the reasons only... for writing? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, there's just traditional bluegrass songs, which you can always kind of embellish with your own style. Some people try to keep them as true to the original as possible, but you're always going to take a solo break and do your own thing there anyway. But it's it's such a, I always say like freedom within boundaries. It's like you're given this structure and within that structure, you can run around and play, but the structure means that I can get together with someone I've never met and said, hey, let's do Dark Hollow and A. And everybody knows Dark Hollow. And so I'm there with a stranger, you know, doing a pretty decent job of a song because we all know them. They're traditional mm. folk songs. That's why mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're being passed down. Now, if I said, I'm going to do an original, that's not cool at a bluegrass jam. <laughs> that's like one of the no-nos. If you're in oh. a band, you can do that. But but it's like, there's like folk groups and singer-songwriter groups where that's acceptable, but it's totally unacceptable in a bluegrass jam to drop an original. <laughs> Because nobody is going to be able to join you. Yeah. Well, they might because some of them are really great musicians. But then it's kind of like, who do you think you are? You know, like, <laughs> that's not what we do here. We we play bluegrass. And yeah. It sound pretty, pretty uptight. But that's that's true. That's the way it is. Beauty of it. Like, and there's, there are, you know, thousands of songs to choose from and hundreds that are just super well known that, like I said, you can walk up to anybody from Idaho, Kentucky, whatever, and say, we're going to do... Rolling in my sweet baby's arms and everyone knows it. So it's awesome. Are you well versed in all of these songs? I kind of am. I mean, <laughs> I, uh, I made it one of my goals when I first started was because when I first started going to a jam, that one that I told you about, and it was a lot of seniors and teenagers. And, and I realized that I had a dedication level that was not the same as everyone else's because what happened in a short time was I, I outgrew that jam. And I felt kind of bad. I felt like, um, you know, who am I? They've been playing longer than I have. What's, why do I feel like I don't fit in here? And then one day I said something about attracting intermediate players. And one of the older ladies turned to someone else and said, I don't want this to be an intermediate jam. I want this to be a beginner jam. Well, she'd been playing guitar for 20 years. And I just went, mm-hmm. oh, I don't belong here <laughs> because yeah. I have like this freakish desire to get better. And so I started asking myself, well, what do you want to do? It's not like you're trying to be a star or a performer. But at that time, I said, I want to be able to walk up to any jam and feel comfortable joining in, you know, at any level. And I want to know at least 20 songs that I can lead. I, I have far surpassed that. Wow. <laughs> and like, uh, I've got a list of, I mean, I could probably just lead 60 today. I'm not trying to brag. I mean, they're pretty repetitive and some of them are easy. And I've been doing this for a while. Um and then if somebody's singing a song I don't know, I'll write it down and add it to my playlist just so it gets in my head. And at the very least, I want to be able to sing the tenor part on the chorus, which mm-hmm. is super fun for me. So I know the chorus to hundreds of songs, <laughs> and then I could probably lead, you know, quite a lot on my own. So that's probably why I have the confidence now to lead the kids. I mean, it's been growing quickly. I think a year ago, I wouldn't have even, two years ago, definitely not. But now I feel like I can definitely help the kids get started on this path if they're interested. Right, right. And that's any, whether they play instrument, have ever played one or not. Right. I can tell them how to get started. And then it's like, oh, got to, you know, sorry about the screen time, but I got to direct them to YouTube because I can't play the banjo or the fiddle at all. 
I'll try to hire people to come in to help once in a while, but those two instruments, I feel bad, but I, I don't have anything to offer other than direct you to the songs and the resources. But right. I can get kids started on guitar, mandolin, and bass for sure. Banjo has always looked like a very complicated instrument to play to me. I know that you've got you've got your thumb and your forefinger going there, right? And yeah, yeah, two finger. It's actually called a three finger roll, the thumb and two fingers, and that right hand technique um, it has to be mastered, and it's not easy. <laughs> so I've never yeah. I've never tried it, but I've I've watched other people and you know even go through the process of learning, and it's a it's a tough instrument to take on. Mm-hmm. Do you have any desire to? No, because I started so late in life. I mean, I've been kind of tempted to go away from guitar and more into mandolin. And then I thought, what am I doing? I need to really focus on guitar because being a late starter. But it's good to play multiple instruments because in bluegrass, we have um, a ton of guitar players and not enough banjo players and not mm-hmm. enough fiddle players. But the ones that are, well, I mean, guitar is a funny instrument because, you know, the, there's a lot of different levels you could be at, you know. Mm-hmm. And a good rhythm bluegrass guitar player is really important for the bluegrass sound. A lot of people come from other genres and don't have that. It's almost better to be a beginner guitar player in bluegrass so that you learn that it has a unique strumming pattern that if you're already used to playing something else, it could actually be a little bit of a detriment, maybe. <laughs> it just seems like each instrument has a different strumming pattern that goes along with it. and Oh, yeah, yeah. And bluegrass, definitely. We have uh, the boom chuck pattern for the guitar, and then the bass and the mandolin do a boom chop together, which is supposed to replace drums. They're supposed to be like a bass drum and a snare drum t- working mm. together to keep that music going. So that's why we don't have drums. That's one of the reasons we don't have drums. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about the lack of percussion, but it's made up for in the way that you're strumming the string instruments then. Yeah, the the bass and the mandolin in particular are supposed to be, they're, they're called the rhythm section, you know. And was that because it's easier to transport these string instruments than to bring a whole drum set with you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And people were playing this at home, you know, like a lot. I mean, it really was a very rural thing. And they lived on farms and would go to barn dances on the weekend. So yeah, and play fiddle tunes and people would square dance and do that kind of thing. And how fun. And does that go on at the festivals? There's a little bit of dancing. (laughs) There's a little bit of I mean, there's (laughs) always, you know, we have what we call jam grass, which is like the Grateful Dead influence on bluegrass and mm-hmm. some people really like that. And then you got kind of a hippie vibe going on and, and more freedom of expression. And then we have the more traditional bluegrass and people might do um, flat footing or clogging, but it's not nearly as big here as it is back East. In fact, there's one gal in LA that teaches that style of dancing and she's so well known because it's such a niche, you know. Is that bringing in kind of like the Irish influences of the Mm -hmm. music so some of that tradition Mm -hmm. yes yes um do you have any favorite songs to what sing play like in general what do you what's how about all of them (laughs) yeah what's what's your favorite one to sing gosh 
It's funny because someone just asked me that question and it really depends on who I'm with. I mean, again, it's the communication thing. Like, I mean, I was at a jam yesterday that was a lot of new people. And so, yeah, I just pulled out a very traditional song that I thought we could all be successful at. And then that feels good. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But if I'm in with uh, players that are more high level, might want to follow something a little more obscure. Um, but my favorite is singing tenor, honestly. That's what I love to do the most. And let someone mm -hmm. else be in front and let me sing above them. I don't right. find a lot of people that can see. That's, that's the problem is there's a lot of more men in our music groups. And I don't find a lot of people that can harmonize with me. And so I end up singing by myself a lot which just is not as interesting. And I wish somebody would join in on the chorus and sometimes they try and they'll sing a low part, but there's only a couple people around that can sing tenor above me. One of them is my friend Luke. And that's why I love being around Luke because he's one of the guys <laughs> that can, you know, and then it's just more interesting for the whole group because I'm not in love with my voice by itself, not by any means, you know, I like what it can do with other voices. A couple of times you mentioned that it's mostly men in the groups. Is this something that you're finding as you get in more advanced groups that there's less women that follow into those groups? There's less women just all together. And I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I really don't know why. I was uh, thinking fear. of women, women being busy with kids for some years. That's definitely, you know, front and center. It yeah. definitely is. It probably feels pretty selfish to be practicing an instrument when several years you're putting your own needs kind of in the back of being a mother. You know? mm -hmm. No, you're right. You know, if but I put that's myself, just a, that's just a particular age group. Like what about the younger women and the older women? They're still greatly outnumbered by the men. So what's driving men to want to learn to play instruments, at least in this genre, more than the women? I'm not quite sure. I think it's that connection, uh, the social life part of mm -hmm. it. You know, men men tend to get together in more active pursuits when they socialize. So, you know, they're either doing sports, bowling, chess, although for sure there are there are women that love all of that as well. Mm -hmm. And I could see jamming being part of that. You know, there's there's a particular quality about it that is much more appealing to men than it is to women. And if you find the answer to what would bring the women in, then you've kind of answered the million dollar question. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know you, you did mention it a few times and I was like, oh, is it as you get more advanced or is it in every level of expertise of playing bluegrass? And is it specific to bluegrass versus other music genres? No, you know what? Now that you mention it, I think in, you know, definitely in the rock and roll world, it's male dominated. It really is. Yeah. I remember reading an article one time where a woman was complaining about the sexism that she had to put up with. And, you know, I don't ever want to disparage anybody else's experience, but I thought, well, for me, it's been the opposite. If I was a man with my guitar skills, 
I probably wouldn't be welcomed into as many <laughs> situations as I am mm -hmm. just by the fact that I'm a minority. I'm like, oh, hey, you know, it's just kind of interesting that, oh, there's a female. And so when I'm even like trying to book a bluegrass band, if they have a female, it's like a perk because it makes it more interesting right. and fun to watch, you know? And, and I don't mean that in a sexual way, but there's just, you don't want to just stand and look at four old men up there just being all stiff and playing their instruments. They're not all like that, but you know, women tend to be more expressive if I were going to generalize. And so they add a certain bit of pep and flair to what could be less interesting, I guess. I think it's a great place for women because we're needed. <laughs> Whether yeah. it be the tenor singers or the being good at your instrument or just adding, you know, the so, and there's definitely songs that should be sang by women, you know? I absolutely agree. Yeah, it would be great to get the word out and get more women and girls joining this movement. I'd be curious to see when my bluegrass club at school starts, how many girls join. Although, you know, at 12 and 13 and having it at your school is a little different than the assertiveness that it requires to seek out this opportunity. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's but it's planting be. that seed. It might end up being rock and roll in the future with a yeah, that's with a right. leaning towards bluegrass, which would yeah. be really interesting. There's a lot of that, you know, those amalgamated songs that come out with a lot of different genres getting pulled in, and they're so interesting and great to listen to. I love that kind of thing, those experimental songs. Yes, that's fun. If you had to direct anybody to start learning about bluegrass more or just to get interested in it, do you have resources? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They should start with the California Bluegrass Association.org. Okay. And you're the regional director? Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. I mean, there's a whole board and there's people all over the state. So, I mean, if somebody were in the Central Valley. It has a events calendar. It has information. It has resources. It has about, you know, those kind of things. There's a calendar awesome. that shows where things are. And yeah, it's a great place to start. And then other than that, I mean, it's like I'm going to tell the kids, just listen to bluegrass and see how you like it, especially the old traditional stuff like Flatten Scruggs and Bill Monroe, the Stanley Brothers. The people who started it. Yeah. Very cool. If you had one thing to share with the world, what would it be? Well, that's a tough question. <laughs> <It's so good>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was listening to this song yesterday. There was a bluegrass version of a Tom Petty song called Wildflowers. That, um, do you know that song? I love that song, yes. The, the lyrics to that song really tugged at my heart. You belong among the wildflowers. You belong in a boat at sea. Sail away and eat up the hours. You belong where you feel free. So that'd be my wish yeah. for everybody. That you belong and, you know, I feel like everybody has a place and I've been really lucky to find so many things that light my fire and, and I wish, would wish that for everybody. That's wonderful. I love that. Um, if anybody wanted to get a hold of you, are you part of a band? Not currently, no. Mm -mm. I um, have something brewing, so in a few months I will be. But if anyone wants to get a hold of me, they could just email Donna Hargis at californiabluegrass.net. <laughs> and I'm happy to help and direct and guide and answer questions. Take volunteers. Cool. <laughs> Take volunteers, yes. If anyone for... wants to volunteer. <laughs> For the third year of the South, South State, State 48, 48. plenty of time. It's almost a whole year away. So 
Oh, that's so exciting. It was so great talking to you and actually having a dedicated time to actually talk to you because we're always just kind of passing each other by saying hello and not really getting the time to just sit down and chat. Thank you. It's been wonderful. And it's just, I'm surprised and happy that someone wants to know what I'm doing in bluegrass. (laughs) Totally. No, it's exciting. I hope you enjoyed this last episode of 2022. I cannot believe we're at the end of the year and getting ready to embark on a new adventure entitled 2023. What a great way to end the year with a conversation about music and those things that bring people together. Be sure to follow Donna Hargis at California Bluegrass Association for upcoming events. All of the links will be in the show notes. There will not be an episode next week, but I will be back after that with some great new material. So please take a moment to rate this episode. Your ratings really do help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com all at the Queen Trail Podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E podcast. I am So Annan, the Queen Trow, and until next time, I wish you a happy and prosperous new year. I also wish you passion, grace, adventure, song, success, happiness, elegance, and beauty.